Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. I think... My wife is ready for me to go back and start doing the show from the studio, which is scheduled to happen week after after next. Uh, Monday, June 8th is when we're scheduled to be back, assuming things don't change. Be- because I-, I think she she thinks I'm, I'm probably going stir-crazy. I don't think that's really the truth. But, for example, I, as, as everybody knows, I have a, a little dog that is one of the lights of my life. And what happens is she follows me around, and she's become even more attached during the, the last 10 or 11 weeks that we've been working from home. And so the routine around the Wagner household is in the morning. What happens is, you know, I'll get up, I, I take her out, and then I come upstairs to my second-floor office where I'm doing the show now, and, and the dog, Sasha, will follow me up, and she will stay here for most of the morning, you know, with me. She sits under my desk. At the very beginning of this experiment, trying it from home, she's quiet most of the time, but if she hears something outside or somebody comes to the door, she, she, she'll bark, and that happened the first couple days we did it, and then we kind of decided, okay, well, I, you know, that, that, that's a distraction, and so we, we keep her downstairs. So what will happen is sometime around 11.15 or 11.30, maybe a little bit beforehand, I'll kind of induce her i'll pick her up i'll I'll take her downstairs and what will happen is we have just this little gate that we put up so she can't get onto the landing and she'll sit downstairs until right before the show ends and my wife moves the gate and she comes running up so this morning i decided that i was going to i was going to take her out for for a walk i'm going to take her out for a walk i got the show ready so i've got a little bit of time so about 11 15 or so i bring her downstairs i'm putting the leash on her i'm getting ready to go out and i'm going to use this as an opportunity when we come back we, we need to have the gate in place so i say to my wife i say okay i'm going to take her out for a walk when while i'm gone would you put the g-a-t-e up and she looks at me and she says did you did you just spell out the word you know you realize this this is it's a dog it's not a child you know <laughs> did you really just spell out the word gate and i said yeah i, I guess i kind of did and i think I, then i get again that look saying okay maybe Maybe it's time that you need to go back into the into the real world and interact with with grown-ups again and stuff. You're spelling out words so the dog can't understand it. So, I'm you know it's it's it, it is it is kind of time maybe to to go back and start interacting. And um, I'm certainly looking forward to that. We have wonderful wonderful weather. It looks like it's going to be a great weekend. We do not go gently into the good weekend on the Wagner program though. A lot of stuff to discuss and, and actually. Things going on in the world besides COVID-19. Let's start with what is going on in Minneapolis and what it says about our society and what it says about reactions. Everybody knows the story by now, and we've talked about it for the last couple days. On, On Monday, you had a situation where police roll up, they 
take a man into custody. And it, it just, it's a bizarre situation in general because the report was that the guy was involved in, in an, a possible forgery. So it's not even a situation where they're, they're investigating a murder or an armed robbery or somebody who, who may, in fact, be dangerous. So the police roll on up, they roll up, and they end up taking a 46-year-old African-American man named George Floyd into custody. Um, it, it's now very apparent that he, it, he d- does not give much resistance at all. He's put into handcuffs, and then he's taken down onto the ground. And a police officer who, as it turns out, has a, a history of complaints for excessive use of force and various rule violations, then puts his knee on the back of the man's neck and, and leaves it there for what, what seems like forever. It is an incredibly painful video to, to watch. And there's a crowd of people who are gathered. The man himself is begging for air. He's going, I can't breathe. Let me up. Let me up. People in the crowd are yelling, let the guy up. And meanwhile, the police officer cavalierly and callously just continues to pin the man's neck to the, the ground. There was no reason at all. Let's just be upfront about this. There's no reason at all for this type of behavior on the part of a police officer and this comes from somebody who as I have said repeatedly I I, I tend to be pro law enforcement I don't like to second guess what police officers do you know in their their pursuit of their jobs because it's a very dangerous and difficult job but there's no question you look at this video and what you see here is not a reasonable use of force what you see here at least in my opinion is a homicide plain and simple you know you've got the man down on the ground there are uh, multiple police officers on the scene. There's no reason just to stand and put your keep your ne- your knee on the man's neck, especially when he is begging for air and begging you to let him up. You, you've got enough police officers. The guy is handcuffed for goodness sakes. If you're going to take him in custody, you pick him up. You put him in the back of the squad car. It was a homicide, pure and simple. And I don't think anybody disagrees with that. I have read the commentary coming from um, police officers all over the country. Um, When we discussed this on the program over the course of the last couple days, I heard from a number of people in law enforcement. There's nobody, at least to my knowledge, out there trying to justify this behavior. Everybody, I think, regardless of your color, regardless of your your occupation, and I think everybody in law enforcement understands that what happened here was – very, very wrong. Was it a crime? In my opinion, it, it definitely was. And my guess is certainly the officer that was responsible for putting his knee on the back of uh, the man's neck, he's going to be charged with very, very serious crimes. My guess is maybe some of the other police officers will as well. Don't know how it's going to shape out. But nobody, nobody thinks that this was a legitimate use of police force, at least nobody that I can tell. We agree Collectively, we agree, I think, as a society that this was was wrong. All right. The first night after the, the videotape of this surfaced, you had a number of what were largely almost exclusively peaceful protests, which, you know, people taking to the streets to express their outrage at what happened to the man. Perfectly appropriate. Then it took a really, really ugly turn. Two nights ago, 
the protests that started off as peaceful morphed into what turned out to be a riot. And it involved you know, burning down buildings. It involved looting liquor stores. It involved looting uh, pharmacies. You had people running in, grabbing as many prescription pills as they could find. You had the, the looting of a, of a Target store. All those various things that had nothing at all to do with peaceful protest. Last night, unfortunately, more of the same. You had multiple examples of arson. Um, you had people, again, looting um, many, many buildings in Minneapolis. There's some very dramatic photographs of you know buildings, including a fire station, completely on fire and people dancing in front of it. Uh, the Minneapolis mayor did not respond very well at the beginning. Now you've got the governor, who I think was very, very slow to realize what was going on. Now you've got the National Guard that's going to be coming in and attempt to order to, you know, instill peace and all. But I, I watched these images, and just like I am extremely troubled by the image of the man essentially being choked to death by the police officer on Monday. I am also incredibly concerned about the images that I am seeing coming out of Minneapolis from the actions of the rioters, the looters. Pick whatever word you want to have. But I guess where I want to start off with is to ask a, a somewhat rhetorical question, perhaps. All right, given that, this, given that this is a situation where I don't think anybody defends what this particular rogue police officer did, what is the point of the rioting? What is the point of the looting? What is the point of the arsons? And candidly, I, I look at this stuff and I'm thinking, you know, for the people that are legitimately upset over this example of police misconduct, by, by allowing people, you know, along, who are along with you to engage in the rioting, the loose looting, the arsons, what, what you are doing is hurting the cause in a huge fashion. I mean, given the fact that this is not a controversial thing to the extent, by not controversial, I mean, we all agree it was wrong. Everybody, I think, agrees that the police officers need to be punished. And I think everybody needs to agree that, agrees that to the extent that this is evidence of something more systematic going on with the Minneapolis Police Department, and I don't know that one way or the other, that the changes need to be made. But does the behavior of the mob over the last two days, does it change anything? Does it advance any point? Is there in any way that the behavior can be justified? And my answer would be no. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with John in West Dallas. John, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, John. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think any. I personally don't condone this violence and rioting. I, I don't know anybody that does either. Uh, I can understand why they're doing it. Um, I think, uh, my personal opinion, a lot of the anger would have to do with, um, for example, I believe the police officer did this or was doing this with the, with the full knowledge that the system was going to back him up. You know, uh, the system begins with his fellow police officers uh, and then goes on to the prosecutor who decides whether something is evidence or not. 
then it goes on to the judges, you know, then it goes on, so on and so on. Um, police officers who are accused of a crime are the only criminal defendants who enjoy the presumption of, um, I keep forgetting, uh, reasonable doubt. You know, everybody in the system goes out their way to look for reasonable doubt. No other suspect enjoys this kind of protection from the law. I think that's where the anger comes from, that no matter what happens, people know nothing will change because nothing has changed in the last 400 years. Well, you do have police. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. But, I mean, you do have... You know, you do have you have police officers who are prosecuted and are convicted for for crimes all the time. So it's it's not like there is this immunity. And you always do have role in any profession, including police. You you have rogue officers who behave in an abusive sort of fashion, and in general, that they're held accountable. I mean, there are the prosecutions. Now, at the same time, it's I understand that it's it's perhaps difficult um, to view some of those things because, again, you know, the police officer's job is is different, and sometimes people perceive things in a different kind of fashion. But at the same time, th- this idea that you know nobody else gets the benefit of the doubt. Okay, e- you know everybody is proven is determined to be innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. A- and do I understand that there could be frustration with the system? Yes, but I guess what troubles me is the people who who justify and. I, and I know you're not doing it, but who justify rioting. All right, let's take a very quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, we have some breaking news on the matter that we were just discussing and will continue to discuss. Melissa Barkley at WTMJ's Breaking News Center. Thank you. We are hearing that one of the officers involved with the George Floyd case in Minneapolis has been arrested. Let's get the very latest from ABC News. The George Floyd case has been taken into custody by the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. Former officer Derek Chauvin taken into custody for the Monday death and custody arrest of George Floyd. He's the black unarmed man who was shown handcuffed and captured on witness video with an officer's knee to the back of his neck. And uh, uh, Floyd later died while in police custody. Again, out of Minneapolis, the arresting officer in the George Floyd case taken into custody. I'm Michelle Franz, and this has been a special report from ABC News. So that's the officer that was involved, the the one that's on the videotape. My guess is they're also looking <clears throat> at whether or not other charges would be appropriate against some of the other officers who are on the scene. But now the, the principal officer has, in fact, been arrested. And, and let me share with you uh, uh, one of the texts I got, which is really, really, I, I find it troubling on so many different levels. Jeff, how narcissistic of you to tell a group of people how they can protest or rebel? Let's let's just break that down. It's narcissistic of somebody to say you shouldn't burn down buildings. You shouldn't loot buildings. You shouldn't engage in assaultive behavior. You shouldn't riot. This is where, at least in the minds of some people, that you know you, you can't condemn people who riot. You can't condemn people who loot. You can't condemn people who burn things down. Sorry, but I, I'm not there. I think that, yes, I think reasonable, civilized people need to understand that there are wrongs and there's ways that you protest, but protesting by burning down buildings and, let's face it, 
looting buildings, looting liquor stores, breaking into pharmacies, trying to steal as many prescription drugs as you have. That has nothing to do with protest over an example of a police brutality. That has an op- that has everything to do with I'm going to be an opportunist and I'm going to use this as a chance to, I don't know, again, loot Riot, grab prescription drugs. The text continues. I'm sure you were against Colin Kaepernick when he peacefully did it. You are part of the order that want you, people that want order over justice, or at the very least want to control how people react. Yes, I do want to control how people react because there are limits in a civilized society, and you don't get to go out and burn down buildings. You don't get to go out and loot because you are upset with what you perceive to be an injustice that very may, well may be an injustice. Yes, you have every right to try to agitate to change the system. That is your right. Looting and burning and um, engaging in rioting behavior, you do not have the right to do it. Nobody does. And I guess it's kind of troubling to me that some people might think to justify that. Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, I Jeff, uh, love your program. I, I uh, Thanks. Just what I was going to say, too, before, if they would have arrested this uh, officer right away before this all went on, right after he did this, I mean, Millions of people probably seen this on TV or whatever what he did. Right. Uh, maybe this thing could have been settled down a little bit. But like I like you say, I don't uh, agree with all the rioting. And they put a lot of other people out of work now with the buildings that they destroyed. So that that's oh, a bad oh. thing there. And, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so here, now here's my question, Tom. So now they, they've made the arrest of the principal police officer. He's now been taken into custody. Do you think we're going to have more violence when the sun goes down in Minneapolis this evening, or will people now be calmed down because the guy has been taken into custody? Well, let's hope that they calm it down. I don't know if they're going to. I mean, you, the way they went at it now, uh, they did enough damage. I hope they calm yeah. it down. No, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I, I hope that's the case. Now, the reason I, I'm somewhat skeptical of that is because, again, I believe that there, there's two things that are going on, and this happens a lot of times when you have these incidents. You have the people who engage in legitimate protest, you know, who and, and you know, do it in the way that I think is acceptable. And then you have the other people who are the opportunists that are out there and who, you know, use what has happened, use that outrage as an excuse to then go over any sort of line. And, hey, this, this is my chance to break into that liquor store and clean the place out. This is my chance to break into the pharmacy. This is my chance to burn down a building because somehow it, it feels good to burn down a police station or, or whatever. And, and that, I'm going to dance in front of it to riot to engage in that behavior. Now, I hope with this arrest that calms stuff down because for the people who might tend to justify this behavior, and you know who you are, for the people who might tend to justify this, well, now the man has been taken into custody. He's been charged. He's been arrested. So now let's move on to the next phase, which is prosecuting him for what he is alleged to have done. And then, again, to the extent that there's a larger problem with the Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, the Okay, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I acknowledge, I find it a little bit disappointing that there are at least a, a small number of people out there who 
believe that the violence, the looting, the rioting, the arson is is in somehow justified. And I guess I, I find it to be troubling and a real uh, just a disconnect because again my belief is the people that are engaging in the rioting the looting it has nothing to do with protesting for social justice here's a text jeff i saw some video of a target of the target store people carrying out absolute every everything in the store other people destroying registers and checkout lanes none of that was protest against the police these are illegal acts in and of themselves yeah they they are the rioters who've decided that they are going to use this as an opportunity to try to behave in an antisocial fashion and enrich themselves. And and I guess it's disturbing to me that there is a small segment who appears to believe that this is a kind of a legitimate thing. And I swear, I'm getting a couple texts on this, and I had a caller yesterday made the point, too. Oh, this is, well, Colin Kaepernick took a knee, and, and people criticized him. And somehow drawing some sort of moral equivalency, which is just just a complete and total non sequitur to me. Yes, Colin Kaepernick has a right to protest. The issue with Kaepernick was that he decided to do it while he was on the job in uniform. And the question was, did the NFL have the right to tell him, hey, while you're at work, while you're on our dime, we don't want you engaging in, in political statements. And I think I believe they were entitled to do that. But to somehow say, well, you, you criticized Kaepernick for protesting while he was on the job, nobody, I think, would have had any objections to Colin Kaepernick if on his own time he decided he wanted to engage in any sort of silent, peaceful protest or you know, move, make whatever moves he wanted for what he perceived to be social justice. It was the fact that he tried to do it on the job that I think got him criticized. At least that's what my nature of the criticism was. But to somehow say, well, he tried peaceful protests and people um, objected, so that somehow justifies burning down buildings and looting. Oh, give me a break. All right. Now, into this jumps the President of the United States. Now, President Trump has sent out a number of tweets over the course of the last couple days. Here are, are some. I can't stand back and watch what happens to a great American city, Minneapolis. A total lack of leadership, he's referring to the mayor, either the very weak, radical left mayor, Jacob Fry, get his act together and bring the city under control, or I will send in the National Guard and get the job done right. Okay, so he, he's got that that's out there. And, and by the way, whether you need the president to call him out or not, I, I think the mayor's response has not been strong. But then President Trump sends the following tweet, which has generated an enormous about amount of consequences um, and, con- and, and discussion. Here's what the tweet says. These thugs, capital letters, are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let this happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Walls and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. Now, th- this this tweet is generating a lot of controversy. Um, the, the the reference to the, the President of the United States using the word thugs, which in the minds of some people has a racial connotation. Okay, so you've got that there. And then you've got the second part, any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Now, there's a couple 
different ways, I guess, you can interpret that, that second sentence. Um, early on in the first night of the rioting, what happened is you had a man who was breaking into and looting a pawn, a pawn shop, and the owner of the pawn shop shot the guy. Okay, so I guess if you could look at this tweet in one way and saying, okay, if the president is trying to be cautionary, saying, hey, you know, th- this is what happens to looters, and, and so people need to be cautious. The other interpretation of this, which is a probably equally fair, is the president is starting to say, hey, you know, we're getting ready to send in the military to start shooting people. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Regardless regardless of interpretation and how you want to parse this, I guess my question is, is a tweet like this from the President of the United States, is it helpful or is it hurtful? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I confess as I think back on on all the presidents in in, in my lifetime, you know, I just you you you, let, 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 you could go through the whole list of of presidents, you know, it, it, depending on how old you are. But you mean you think about President Eisenhower and President Kennedy and even President Johnson, and then of course President Nixon, and then you know the list goes on. Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan. You go through the list. First George Bush. Uh, Bill Clinton, the pre- George W. Bush, Barack Obama. Could you see any of them sending out, and again, I understand for a lot of the time we didn't have Twitter, but, but making a statement along the lines of when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Okay, helpful or hurtful? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before the break, I was talking about this this tweet that the president has sent out. And um, that in particular, in particular, the phrase he uses, any difficulty, and we assume control, but when the looting starts, the shooting starts, thank you. Some people are saying that could have been a reference to the, the danger um, and you already had the one looter that got shot. Um, the other interpretation is the president is saying, hey, if this keeps going on, we're bringing in the military and people are going to be shot. That, I think, is the more common interpretation of what the president said. And that's why I think a lot of people are starting to have pause of this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As somebody who is appalled, first of all, by the, the police officer's action, and secondly, as somebody who is appalled by the, the violence, the rioting, the looting, and somewhat disconcerted about some people who are attempting to justify that, let me just say this. The, the tweets like this, in my opinion, are not helpful to the situation. I, I understand that the president is, is aggressive. I understand that the president uh, draws lines in the sand. But at a time like this, what you want from elected officials is, first of all, a, a response, a, a swift, proportionate response. You cannot allow a relatively small group of protesters to destroy, to burn down a city, to commit crimes, to, to engage in anarchy and domestic terrorism and things of the like. At, at the same time, I think you also have an obligation to try to calm a situation down. And to use your bully platform, whether you're 
the mayor or whether you're a governor or whether you're a congressman or a senator or the president of the United States, you don't want to do things, or at least you shouldn't be doing things, which are going to make matters worse. And I guess I, I look at this tweet and I'm thinking, all right, I understand that the, the definition of what is presidential has changed over the years, but I guess I look at this tweet and I say it's it's not helpful. And I'm trying to picture other presidents, and again, Republican presidents, Democrat presidents, it doesn't matter. I, I'm trying to imagine any of them coming out and making a statement along the lines of, well, you know, we're going to assume control, but when the looting start, starts, the shooting starts. That That's... And maybe it's just a question of style, but style is important. You would expect, again, the President of the United States in a situation like this to be attempting to try to calm things down. Violence is unacceptable. We appreciate the situation and the outrage over what happened to George Floyd. We are interested in making sure that justice is done. We're going to be, you know, in the Justice Department's going to be working with this. We're interested in having meetings with the governor and the mayor, et cetera. Um, we want to help the community get past this. Um, if it's necessary, we're going to make certain that, you know, violence and looting and things like that don't occur. And, and then, you know, then, then you say, you know, we're, we're going to do everything we can to work with this. You don't come out and necessarily say when the shooting starts, the looting starts. Um, let's see, Jeff, it is hurtful. What he should be calling attention to is the fact that there's been no cause of death determined. You know, we don't know if the knee on the neck or head had anything to do with the man's death. Um, he could also send a message that peaceful protesting is fine and that rioting and looting will not be tolerated minus the shooting threat. Yeah, see, I guess that's, that's the key that's there. Okay, now somebody says, hey, I, I'm tired of all the PC approach about speech. Well, you know, I, I don't think this is political correctness. I think you have a volatile situation, and I think elected officials, you know, it's one thing if you have a newspaper columnist, or it's one thing if you have a newspaper reporter, it's one thing if you have a radio talk show host or whatever who decides that they want to be controversial and inflammatory or, or whatever. It's another thing when it's the President of the United States and this is a time where I think we need to collectively be urging restraint in a situation that is, again, very volatile. Lord knows there's enough stuff going on in this country right now that you'd, you want to try to, I don't know, soothe the troubled waters as opposed to, well, you know, who cares what somebody says about this or that or the other thing? Because words do matter. There's no question about that. Um, let's see. I don't believe the president's tweet was helpful, nor do I think it's professional. Uh, Jeff, the president tells it likes, like it is. They are thugs that are doing this. Any decent human would not think of burning down buildings or looting. Yes, some will be shot. I took it more as a warning than a threat. Okay, well, the president of the United States, in my opinion, should not be warning people that citizens will be shot when he calls out the military, if that's how you want to interpret this statement. Again, I think there are times like this where it's you want to look to elected officials, regardless of what their political persuasion is, to try to be the ones who are out there trying to be the calming presence in a situation like this. And this candidly 
this candidly isn't isn't that calming sort of presence. I, I think issuing tweets are very appropriate. I think calling for law and order is very, very appropriate. But as we talk about a lot of times, I, I do think words matter. And I don't know, the phrase, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, strikes me as being... And this isn't a political correct approach. It just strikes me as being remarkably cavalier, given you know what's going on. Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Bob. Good. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I just think it's in keeping with his uh, his divisive speech, and uh, I have to tell you, I. I served in Vietnam. I came back from Vietnam. I served the community of Miami-Dade County for 29 years. I, I saw, uh, I, I, I worked and lived through the Liberty City riots, the McDuffie riots. If you remember, mm-hmm. McDuffie was the salesman that was pursued and then uh, literally beaten to death uh, by police officers. Uh, I, I'm certainly not proud of any of that, uh, but he just needs to stop. And And when you say that the presidency... I'm paraphrasing. The presidency has changed in several years. Uh, if you mean the last three and a half years, then I would concur with your uh, what you're saying. Yeah. They, uh, did you find so? You would agree with me that it that this this particular tweet was not helpful in any way, shape, or form. Not not at all. There was a chief of police. This is not his. This is not something original. This phrase: "When the looting starts, the shooting starts." There was a chief of police in Miami. His name was Headley, and his first name escapes me. But uh, 50 years ago, he said that uh, when the looting yeah. starts, the shooting starts. So. Yeah, yeah. No, th- no. Thank, thanks for call, Bob. I appreciate it. Again, it's, it, it's. Yeah, I don't think it was an original phrase, but it, it's again, it's one of these things that. I, I, you want our elected leaders to try to be, at least in my opinion, you want to try to, to settle down volatile situations. And th- this this particular statement I don't think is helpful to trying to settle things down. Hopefully, with the report of the arrest of the police officer who was involved, hopefully that will at least diminish the anger of some people. And I, I think, I mean, candidly, I also do think that the people that are out there who are legitimately exercising their First Amendment right to engage in peaceful protest, they should be outraged about what is going on as well. And, and a matter of fact, I was watching some news reports this morning, and I was pleased to see you had a, a number of leaders of the community um, across racial lines who were, while expressing outrage at what happened earlier this week, they were also denouncing the protesters, saying this is just completely and totally inappropriate. So that that gives me a little bit of hope. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. There is a um, There is a protest being organized in Milwaukee. It's supposed to kick off in, in just a little bit um, to their credit the people who are organizing this are, are being very very clear about the fact that the, the purpose is to show solidarity um, it is it is to try to figure out you know how as a nation how do we prevent things like this from happening again and organizers are being very clear that this is that this that violence, Unrest will not be tolerated at the event. Security will be enforced, and that's that, that is the that is the appropriate, in my opinion, way to express this. People have every right 
to go out and to engage in peaceful protest and expect to express their, their outrage in the situation. Again, in this particular case, unlike perhaps some situations that have occurred over the last 10, 15, 20 years, this is one where I think everybody people in law enforcement, people outside of law enforcement, people across all color barriers, whether you're white, black, brown, green, blue, whatever, everybody agrees that what happened on Monday was the behavior of a rogue police officer who deserves to be punished to the full extent of the law. I don't hear anybody trying to justify the behavior or the conduct. I I would hope everybody of goodwill would realize that this was this was wrong, and the police officer and anybody who assisted him deserves to be prosecuted fully. I think we all agree on that. And to the extent that there is a systematic problem, like I said earlier, of of mistreatment of segments of the population up in Minneapolis, and I don't know that one way or the other, but to the extent there is, well, I think, okay, maybe it's an excuse to try to figure out how you can change things in Minneapolis. And again, there will be protests. That's perfectly appropriate. There will be rallies. That is appropriate. Burning, looting, engaging in other sorts of criminal behavior. That's never going to be appropriate. All right, we move on to the next hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, I, I don't want to revisit the whole subject of, of masks versus not wearing masks. It's, uh, again, a, a huge controversy. My position on this has been that I think businesses have every right, for example, to require people to wear masks if they want to go inside the business. They have every right to do that, and I think people then have the right to decide, hey, if if the business requires me to wear a mask, I'm going to go into it or I'm not going to go into it. I mean, I think that's what this is all about. I think masks are, are an individual choice, but businesses certainly have the right to do that. And I, I, I notice fewer people wearing masks in the places I go, um, but but again, I think it's an individual choice, and I understand both sides. I, I do. I've always been intrigued by the argument, though, because just like so many things with coronavirus, I don't know that we know what the right answer is. I mean, for example, the, the Centers for Disease Control at the beginning of all this said you don't need to wear a mask. It, it doesn't make any difference. It's no appreciable sort of significant difference. And, and then. Then they changed their guidance without really a huge explanation as to why. Then it became, okay, we, we think it's important to, to go wear, wear a mask. And that's kind of led to the debate. And unfortunately, with coronavirus, so many of the different things you see is we, we don't know what we don't know. And, and you get, well, all this different advice, and it changes from day to day as to what's appropriate. And you try to figure out exactly what the case is. Um, again, for me, that's why I think moving forward, we need to figure out a way to be be smarter. I, I don't think the country, I, I don't think the country will tolerate a, a second major shutdown. I think we're past that point, which is why I think individuals need to be smart. I think people need to engage in social distancing and things of the like. And we need, as a country, as we need to be smart as to how we approach our ability to control the virus, given the fact that until we get a vaccine, and maybe thereafter, because lots of people won't agree to be vaccinated, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to 
again, live with this and, and manage manage risks. And for, I know some people think that, well, we shouldn't be concerned about this at all. You know, what the heck? And other people think that, no, you know, it, we, it, you can never choose the economy over a life. And, you know, we have to just continue to keep everything shut down until the virus goes away. And if that means that millions and millions of people are economically destroyed, who cares? Well, I, the, the truth is in, in between. Lives are important. People's jobs, the economy is important. You have to work out that kind of balancing act, which is why, I mean, I think moving forward, you have to be smart about this. We have to concentrate our resources in keeping COVID-19 out of the places where people who are most vulnerable to this might be exposed to it. I mean, uh, I was talking to, I have a very, very dear friend who works in a senior living facility, and you know, she was telling me last night about how the, all, I mean, she gets her temperature, she's in masks, she gets her temperature taken twice a day, all these different things, and, and that's, I think, going to be the new normal moving forward because she works in a facility where if somebody gets the virus, it has the potential to have very, very bad consequences. For most people, you know, even if you get the virus and your chance of getting it is not that great statistically, but for most people, you get it, you're going to get sick, you're going to get better. Um, again, the target populations, that's where you need to concentrate on. I also think you need to concentrate on, on dealing with the mass spread. And that's why I think events like the state fair, it was inevitable that they were going to cancel the state fair because, again, I don't I don't know. You it's it is possible that somebody who's not feeling well or who is asymptomatic has the virus might go into, you know, a, a grocery store or might go into a luggage store or might go into a dog room or might go into a small jewelry store and might expose somebody else to it and that person then might go home and expose their family. You 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 have that situation and that's always going to be the potential. The thing we need to worry about, I think mostly moving forward is that the super spreaders the the you've got 50,000 people that are wandering around state fair and you have a handful of them who are are sick and they have the opportunity to not just come into contact with a handful of people that could be infected but they have the opportunity to infect a thousand people at a time that's where I think you need to concentrate the resources and that's why candidly I, I don't think you're going to see large mass gatherings the big concerts. You're not going to see them. Um, I, you know, somebody was saying, well, of course we're going to have football in the fall. Well, yeah, I think we're going to have football in the fall, but I don't think there's going to be, you know, 80,000 people on the bleachers at Camp Randall Stadium. I just don't see that. Or 70-plus thousand at Lambeau Field. I don't see that. Or 40,000 people at Miller Park. I think we're a ways away from that. So I, I think we need to be smarter about how we approach it. But getting back to where I started with the whole idea of masks, now you've got the Center for Disease Control, which has flipped. Originally they said wearing masks really doesn't do anything, but now they're encouraging people to wear masks. It's interesting because the World Health Organization, which has gotten a lot of criticism for being a little bit, forget a little bit, for being slow to pick up on the start of this pandemic, the World Health Organization continues to recommend people not wear masks. This is the World Health Organization recommends that healthy people, including those who don't exhibit COVID-19 symptoms, only wear masks when taking care of someone who is infected with COVID-19, which is 
a very sharp contrast, of course, to what the CDC is saying. The, the specialist, her name is Dr. April Baller. She's a public health specialist for the World Health Organization. She says um, if you don't have any respiratory symptoms like fever, cough, or runny nose, you do not need to wear a mask. Masks should only be used by healthcare workers, caretakers, or by people who are sick with symptoms of fever and cough. Now, again, the Center for Disease Control are telling us exactly the opposite. Uh, again, I, I go back to this whole thing. I don't want to have the debate about masks or, or no masks. I think that's been kind of, uh, again, sort of beaten to death, and people are going to make their own decisions. And like I say, I think businesses have the right to decide. But part of the problem that we have in dealing with coronavirus is that nobody knows the answers for sure. That, that's it. You know, we had mo- when this whole thing started, you had all the, these models that predicted this or that or the other thing, and most of them have been proven to be wrong, not because the people who drew up the models were, were trying, I think, to distort stuff. It was just we, we don't know enough about these things. We make various assumptions. It changes the results, and as a result, you know, a lot of stuff ends up being wrong. I don't know about masks one way or the other. Again, I think it's an individual choice. I wear a mask a lot of the times. Other times, though, I, I just try to maintain my distance. I, I think that's probably more effective. World Health Organization says uh, unless you're dealing and treat, dealing with somebody who, who has it, you don't need to wear it. CDC says something else. I, I guess I think it would be helpful moving forward if medical science could, could it get its act together and decide you know, what the various courses of treatment and how people should behave should be, might make it easier for the rest of us to figure out what we should do. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, President Trump sent out another tweet yesterday afternoon that in a different fashion may be just as controversial. For a couple years now, Milwaukee County and the city have been exploring the idea of taking over $50 million and building what they call a quote-unquote high-speed bus rapid transit line between downtown and essentially the medical college. So it would go down Wisconsin Avenue and park down down Blue Mound Road. The way this would work out is they would uh, take a lane of traffic away from the, the streets and what they would do is they would create a dedicated bus line for that. The bus lines would um, have the buses would have the ability to like change the lights so that they could go through. the The idea would be, and they, then they'd add buses. So the buses would run every ten minutes on weekday during daytime hours, fifteen to thirty minutes other times. There would be fewer bus stops. So the idea would be you could get from downtown to the medical college maybe 20% faster, which would shave off maybe like 10 minutes or so on on the trip. Um, the estimates that were out there is that um, if, you, if you did this, uh, the county has a study that says it would dramatically increase the number of people who decided to ride the bus. They say it would attract between 7,200 and 9,200 riders increasing ridership within that corridor by 40%. So in other words, if you built this high-speed bus line, you, you'd have another seven to 9,000 people a day that would decide to take it. They estimate then, under these numbers, it would take 6,700 cars 
off off the road. So people would get out of the cars and, and, and decide to ride the bus. The thing is going to cost in the neighborhood of 50-plus million bucks. And the only way it gets off the ground is if the federal government comes in and kicks in about $40 million of this. And the thing has been kind of hanging fire for the longest time. And candidly, I think a lot of us assume that it just wasn't going to go anywhere. Well, yesterday afternoon, uh, in a move that surprised a lot of people, President Trump sent out a tweet. The tweet says, I am proud to commit $40.9 million in U.S. Department of Transportation funding to Milwaukee's East-West Bus Rapid Transit Project, bringing modern transit to the region's most critical corridor and spur millions in economic development. Love, Wisconsin, at Ride MCTS. Right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This caught a lot of people by surprise, including, I think, a lot of county officials by, by surprise, because nobody knew that this was coming. So now clearly this is an election year. Clearly you have the president who recognizes that he's got to carry Wisconsin in all likelihood to be reelected. So, you know, you, you, you might see some pork that comes this way. But I think it surprised a number of people, myself included, that all of a sudden that this bus, this quote-unquote rapid transit bus line that's going to take away lanes of traffic, make it more difficult if you're going to drive that route, that, that suddenly this is a one step closer to becoming a reality. Because the fact is it wasn't going to happen unless they got 40-plus million dollars in federal funding. Now, at least according to this tweet, it appears that that is fast-tracked. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, all right, we've discussed this idea before. And I, I understand that mass transit is the way to go. I, I understand that a lot of people are anti-car and that, you know, the idea is that we, we want to get people out of cars. But here you have something that is going to dramatically change the, those roadways. I mean, that, that is a major east-west corridor. If we do this, is it worth $50 million to do? And is it really going to increase ridership by, by 40%? which is the, the numbers, are all of a sudden thousands and thousands of people a day going to say, hey, I can I can get along this route just a little bit quicker. There's not going to be as many stops, and you're not going to have to wait as long as red lights. We're going to you know, take away part of the city street to do that, so you're going to lose at least a lane of traffic, which is going to make it more difficult to um, drive. It's also going to make it more difficult perhaps to get into some of these businesses that are along this way. All right, is this worth 50 million bucks? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And is it really going to deliver the results that we're talking about? And candidly, if you had 50 million dollars to put into mass transit in this area, would you be better off building this quote-unquote high-speed rapid transit bus lane lane or would you be better off I don't know, you know, investing it perhaps in increased bus service throughout the area. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Needless to say, I, I think this is going to be an incredible, an incredible white elephant. And I, I've never believed the idea and the suggestions that you build this thing and suddenly you're going to have thousands and thousands of more people riding it on a daily basis. But that's just me. 
What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Ray in Wauwatosa. Ray, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Okay. I live on on 89th and Blue Mountain, and we've been talking about this project for years. I really had hoped that it was finally dead. The the idea of taking away a lane of traffic uh, from us is stupid. The the idea of the one thing that uh, happens is that older people have to walk much further to get to one of these new stations which makes it more difficult for them. And the yep. ridership uh, estimates are all poppycock. They are just complete yep. poppycock. Yeah, well, you know, you raise so a couple of interesting points. the whole idea is a stupid idea. Pardon? No, you, you, you raise a couple. No, you raise some interesting points. That, that's one of, the ways that, one of the ways they get the speed is by not having the bus stop as much. So that means the platforms are, are further apart. So you're right, for, for some of the people particularly the, the senior citizen stuff, are going to use it. They're going to have to walk further in the winter to try to, to catch the bus in the first place. It's going to be more difficult yes. for people in the neighborhood to try to get into your into your, your, your garages, into your driveways, and things like that. And I'm with you. I look at these numbers, and I, I'm sorry, I, I just don't believe that if you knock a few minutes off the trip from downtown out to you know Wauwatosa, that you're suddenly magically going to have another five, six, seven, nine thousand riders. I just flat out don't believe it. It's we don't have that demand for for mass transit like that in this area. We don't, and uh, they uh, nobody has ever in all these meetings we've attended. Nobody has ever bothered to give us hard numbers on how many people yeah. actually ride out to Freighter along right. that route, uh, and they, they've got the information based on fares. But they never talk about, well, how many people are, are actually riding on those buses? And to say that you're going to have this big increase of ridership is just poppycock. It's, it's not realistic. Yeah, thanks for calling. I love the word poppycock. I, but it's, uh, you know, but but yeah, I mean, and and again, I I, I think about what you could do. Let, let's say you got fifty million dollars lying around. Think of think of what you could do. Think of the infrastructure needs that we have. How, how about improving the roadways? Because here here's the reality, and, and this, I understand that some elected officials don't want to buy into this, but the reality is people still like cars. And, and one of the first things that people do when they when they get a job, for example, is they get a little money. They buy a car because they don't want to be confined to bus schedules, whether it's every 10 minutes or, or whatever. They buy a car so they could drive. Also, we're not Chicago. We're not New York. You don't. You can still get around in automobiles. Now, I understand if we had a higher population density. I mean, it's why New York ends up. You know, nobody owns cars because there, there's nowhere to drive them. The streets are so congested. We're we're not New York. We're not close to being New York. We're not seeing massive population growth. And again, I I, I thought along with Ray, I thought this whole thing was dead or at least on hold. Th- this is an election year thing i guess because the president announced money for like eight states four of which wisconsin 
Pennsylvania, Florida, and Arizona are all arguably in play in the upcoming presidential election. So maybe this is politics, but I'm telling you, $40 million in tax, federal taxpayer money, another, you know, whatever money coming out of the county, all to build this giant white elephant. Give me strength. More Jeff Wagner right after this. That's me. So very glad to have you with us. A number of people sending texts making the point about, again, the lunacy of spending $50 million on a quote-unquote bus rapid transit line that will tear up a on a major east-west artery around here that will tear up part of the road, take away a lane of traffic, make it difficult for people to get into their driveways, make it more difficult for people actually to have to catch the bus because they're going to have to walk further in most cases to get to bus stops, make it more difficult for people to go into businesses into their driveways or parking lots because you've got a line of traffic on, all for the notion that you're going to save a handful of minutes for somebody who might ride a bus from the east side uh, down Wisconsin Avenue and Blue Mound Road out all the way out to the medical college, so they're going to save 10 minutes or, or whatever they're going to save, all at a cost of $50 million. And a number of people are also making the point about, huh, this is an interesting time to be launching into that given where we are with the, the whole question of mass transit. I mean, look, I, I don't know what the future is going to hold for, you know, large gatherings. But one of the things that we know, at least at this point in time, we, we know that one of the things that contributed, for example, to the spread of COVID-19 coronavirus in, in New York City was the dependence that they had on mass transit. Because, again, New York City, huge population density, people don't have cars. Or at least a lot of people either can't afford the cars or it doesn't make sense to have the cars because there's no place to park the cars and the traffic is so bad. So they ride the bus or they jump on the subway, whatever. Well, I mean, you want to talk about a breeding ground for spreading viruses. It, it is mass transit because you get on the subway, you sit down in that seat, you don't know who's been sitting there beforehand, and I mean, I don't mean to be graphic, but you you don't know what diseases they've had and stuff, and then you, you end up sitting down. That's why New York City has now closed the subways for the first time, I think, in history overnight so they can come in and try to sanitize them. But that only, again, goes goes so far because then they're going to be in operation for however many hours, 18 hours, and you know you don't know who's been on the thing before you. The Milwaukee County Transit System, and I don't know if they're still doing this, but remember, they, they went through a period where they were limiting buses to like 10 riders at, at a time. So it's not like... We're having people pile into these. Now, maybe maybe we're going to figure out a way to change that, okay? And, and maybe we're going to get back to normal. But I don't know. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if you've got $50 million, do you really want to spend it on the bet that we're going to be having crowded buses, even if you assume that those numbers are true? I'm a skeptic, but let's assume that maybe this is, turns out to be the greatest thing since canned beer, and people decide that they want to pile on these buses and you want to sit, and we're going to fill up every seat on every one of these rapid transit buses going out from downtown. Oh, okay, well, well what is, what, seriously, how are we going to deal with that moving forward? Um, are people going to feel comfortable? Is this, again, maybe a reason why we just want to take a step back and think, okay, if we do have... 40 or 50 million dollars of taxpayer money to spend 
and we're concerned about transit issues, does it still make sense to spend it in this way? I also know a number of people think that this is, it's kind of a stalking horse for some sort of light rail system, that first you get the bus line in, and then, okay, we've got the dedicated lane of transit, let's just lay tracks and let's just, ra- you know, let, let's roll a trolley out there. And, you know, that that could be as well. I'm just saying, don't we have to be smart about how we decide to spend money? All right. Also, as long as we're talking about being smart, uh, the news today was that the Boston Marathon, which um, has been around, essentially, this would have been the 124th year for the Boston Marathon. This is the first time in 124 years that the Boston Marathon has been canceled. They announced that today. The... um, the way it worked was they had originally rescheduled it. The Boston Marathon originally is done in, in April on what they call Patriots Day. They had rescheduled the Boston Marathon from April until September 14th, and they just announced today that given given all the uncertainties, going, given everything that was going on in the world, they, they, they just didn't think they could go ahead and have the Boston Marathon in September. So they've canceled it for the first time, like I say, in 124 years. This comes on the heels of the announcement yesterday that the Wisconsin State Fair, which hung in there for, for a long time, the Wisconsin State Fair had announced that they are, canceling the state fair this is the first time since i think 1945 you know world war ii that that they've canceled it and as i said yesterday i understand this it it makes sense to me you look at a state fair that's going to draw 1.1 million people that's scheduled to go off in like 10 weeks there's there's just no way they could figure out the logistics we're in this era right now and we will be for the foreseeable future uh, of social distancing that's not what a state fair is all about. The state fair is about having crowds, and then, of course, you get into the dynamics that if you try to limit the attendance, okay, let's try to only let 25% of the people in. Well, then, you know, what do you do with what do you do with the vendors? Um, they're they're paying rent based on you know 1.1 million people going to be attending. It, it's just it, it became just overwhelming, and so I think the state fair organizers did what they should do. One of the other events that, as of I think two days ago, was still scheduled to go on was this big, um, the Hodag Country Music Festival in Rhinelander, which has been going on for years and years and years. That attracts about um, 16,000 people a day. And what had happened with that is the county health officials, it's Oneida County, the county health officials had said, don't do this. You know, you got 16,000 people that are coming up. They were going to have acts like Travis Tritt and Darius Rucker and Lee Greenwood, assuming that they're still touring. But anyhow, the, the, the county had said, okay, we're going to allow you to do this. And so as of two days ago, the festival organizers had said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do it. Well, um, you know, yesterday the organizers said, you know, we've decided – that we're not going to have it. The, the quotation was, the possibility of having the Hodag Country Festival has created stress and division in the Rhinelander area. We apologize for this. It was not meant to be our intent. So organizers have said that even though we got technical permission from the county to do it, we've decided we're, we're going to cancel it. We'll be back in 2021 with essentially the same lineup, which is what a lot of these places are doing. Which brings me to... One of the EAA, of course, was canceled. All the ethnic festivals have been canceled. The list goes on and on. Fireworks in most communities have been canceled for the 4th of July. 
Um, you, you name it, it has in all likelihood been canceled. Now the one big event that is left on the schedule for the summer, early fall, is Summerfest. Now, if you will recall, Summerfest, and I am a huge fan of Summerfest. We broadcast from there, look forward to it every year. Summerfest was originally scheduled to, well, you know, start in late June, run through early July. Summerfest made the decision quite a while back that this just wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to be able to do this in a timely fashion. So they came back with Plan B. Plan B was, let's bring Summerfest back in September and let's set it over three weekends, like Thursdays through Saturdays, over three consecutive weekends in September. We'll get a lineup of of music, and hopefully things will have settled down by then. All right, it is now, well, it's going to be June 1st on, what, Monday. Monday's going to be the beginning of June. Things, to some extent, have settled down, but in other cases, they haven't. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know a number of people on the Summerfest boards who I consider to be friends of mine. I have no particular insight into this. In other words, haven't discussed with them, you know, is there still a plan to try to hold, you know, a Summerfest in September? But if I, as I look at everything else that, that's been going on, and I add in the fact that many of the, the acts, the, the bands, and Summerfest is a music festival, many, many, many of the bands, particularly a lot of the headline acts, they're, they're not touring this year. They've just written off 2020. And as we ex- explained before, the, the, these bands, what they do is they have to put together tour schedules. Summerfest is always at the mercy of bands that are touring. Because, you know, bands just, it, it costs a fortune to put on, like, an, an amphitheater type of show. So they, they don't just, hey, we're flying into Milwaukee, we're going to do the Milwaukee show, then we're breaking up. Typically, it's, we've got a show Thursday night in Detroit, and then we're going to be in Milwaukee on Saturday, and then we're going to be in Minneapolis on Tuesday. You know, that, that, that's the flow of it. Bands just are not touring anymore this year. Now, there might be some local bands that are dying to get out and play. But my question is... Can, can Summerfest pull it off in September? Should Summerfest try to pull it off in September? Would it work, or does it more make more sense to simply say, hey, look, we tried, we wanted to fight the good fight, but, you know, under all the circumstances, a watered-down Summerfest where we can't get the type of main event performers that we want, it's just better to say, okay, you know, COVID-19 wins this round, we'll see you in 2021. Is it possible to still have a summer fest? Should they do it? Should they even try? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Huge fan of State Fair. Huge fan of Summerfest, and and I appreciate it and I applauded Summerfest making the decision, saying, "Hey, look, let, let's let's try Plan B. Our Plan B is let's kick it back three weekends in September." Okay, well here we are. It, it's getting to be the beginning of June. We have, I think, a rough idea of what the summer is going to look like. All right, can Summerfest still pull it off in September? And I have serious questions about it. First of all. You know, I think we're still going to be talking about social distancing come come the fall. I, I just I think that's the reality. 
I fully expect that the NFL is going to be playing in largely empty stadiums in September. You know, when, when you think about festivals like Summerfest, you don't think social distancing. You think a bunch of people crowded onto bleachers, everybody dancing around and rocking out to music. That's, that's what you think of, just like you think of State Fair. Hey, people piled into the Midway or, you know, crammed into the craft barn. I, I just... I don't see how you can do social distancing, and I also, I'm not sure that there's going to be any touring bands. I don't know that you're going to be able to put together a music festival, and if you can't do it right, does it make sense to try to do it at all? Bob on the east side. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. Um, what do you think? I, I think it won't happen. I, I think it won't happen, and I think it won't happen, frankly, uh, not for the reasons you said, but because the Summerfest board and Don Smiley won't have the courage to make it happen. The problem right now, Jeff, is every single large entity, and it started with the NBA and then the NCAA and then Major League Baseball, and then if you look at Milwaukee and Wisconsin, Summerfest and Festa Italiana, then the Irish Fest, then just a couple of days ago, State Fair, everyone's afraid to be the one entity that will actually hold an event, that will actually say, okay, we've handled this, the situation with the pandemic's been going on for three months, six months, nine months, we're going to actually hold our event. I don't think Don Smiley or the board has enough courage to do it. And someone needs to have enough courage to actually move forward. And I hope you're wrong, Jeff. Well, let, me stop, well, let me stop you there. Let me stop you there for a second. You, you use the word afraid. Why, why, do you, why do you say afraid as opposed to, you know, the, 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 as opposed to you know, given where we are, the, the likelihood of being able to put together the event and to make money and to, to, to have people show up, could, could it just be just it doesn't make economic sense given where we are? No, I, I, I think I'm going to stand by my point. They, they could certainly get entertainers. Is it going to be the same as it would have been in four or five weeks at the end of June and early July? No. But there are lots of bands out there, not just national touring acts, you know, not just, for instance, Guns N' Roses, who was going to play this year, right. uh, but other local and regional acts that are that are dying on the vine, just like restaurants, just like other businesses. Right. They could find the entertainment. They could find the, the touring acts or the comedians or whatever they wanted to bring in. Some entity in Wisconsin, and the same thing occurs and applies nationally, has to be the first entity to say that we're going to move forward, we're going to make it work. I, I don't think this is necessary, but okay, so we're going to limit capacity to 50% and we're going to move forward. Otherwise, Jeff, when, and I'm saying this rhetorically, but if you have an answer, I'm, I'm curious what it would be. When does this end? So college football plays with no stadium, no fans, then pro football, no fans, then what? College basketball, no fans, then does the NBA ditch next season? When does it end? Well, I think that's a I think that's a fair question. It probably it I don't think it ends for I don't think it ends for a while because people just aren't comfortable going into the large groups. I mean, let, let me ask you as long as we're talking about this. I mean, do you do you envision do you envision for example the Wisconsin Badgers playing home games in September at at uh, Camp Randall with 85,000 people on the bleachers? Not the Badgers because it's uh, UW-Madison and there's a political angle from Madison and, and the UW system. But there are already universities that have said they're planning on playing and being – I mean, Notre Dame, for instance, yeah. has said they're going to be open. They're planning on playing football. Uh, other yeah. private universities, Purdue, have said they're going to be open and playing. In fact, Wisconsin's the last school, I think, in the Big Ten to make a plan yet. Are there, will there be 80,000 people there? Probably not, but I think there will be college football played in front of fans. 
maybe you know forty thousand instead of eighty thousand, but I think it will happen. Yes. Well, thanks for calling. I, I hope you. I mean, I hope in that regard you're right. I was telling a story yesterday. I was. I have a I have a friend who works for the Packers. I don't, I don't need to go into details about what he does, but it, we were we were having this conversation over the weekend about, and, and that was my question. I know, and and. And th- there's been no decisions made except, you know, and, and my friend who's not in on, you know, th- those kind of high level things, he, you know, he was agreeing too. He said, I, I just don't see, I don't see any scenario where, you know, you open up and you have 75,000 people sitting, you know, crammed onto bleachers. And then the, the question becomes, okay, do, do you limit it? Is it, if you say we're only going to have half, half the stadium or a quarter of the stadium filled is how do you decide who it is that that gets in there and how do you police the social distancing and and all those type of things no i i think we're a ways away from it and i think the problem again from from summerfest's perspective i think there's also this real world element and it's 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 not something the state fair people talked a lot about either but you have you've got to make commitments to get the vendors in there the vendors pay their rent Based on the number of people that you think are going to come, all right. So that, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, it's 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 driven by you know prospective attendance. Why well, I think this year there are going to be some people like Bob, God bless him, who are, are just I mean who, who don't care and the the idea and I don't mean don't care, but you know the opportunity of hey getting out and, and seeing some regional band or whoever you could come into you could ever see that that would that would be great. But there's a lot of people who aren't going to be comfortable going back to those those large venues for at least the foreseeable future. And I, I don't I can't tell you when that's going to change, but I, I just I know that. There's I mean, heck, people people are reluctant right now to go into restaurants and sit down unless they're all spaced out. And you mean to tell me that you you know you're you're going to be able to draw half a million people or you know a hundred thousand to the lakefront? I just I, I don't see it. And so that becomes the economic reality of all right, if we're not going to be able to draw anywhere near as many people as we wanted to, you know, what what are we going to do with vendors? If the event that we're going to put on and we're used to giving people a world class experience, whether it's a state fair or a summer fest or something like that, if because the bands aren't touring and, and yeah, we, we can always find bands, but you know, the you know the, the bands that are going to attract people that people are going to want to come down and see so if you can't attract those bands because they're not out then you couple it with the reluctance that a lot of people might have to be in the large groups and then you say i don't know what the attendance is going to be it it becomes a logistical nightmare i hope they're able to pull something off i i do i'm not one of these people that roots for the cancellations i'm not that guy the reality though is i think this is getting more and more difficult and um just don't be surprised if Summerfest is one of the next dominoes to fall, and everybody just says, "Let's get 2020 into the into the rearview mirror, and let's look forward to 2021." Back with lots more in just a couple minutes. Please don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I swear it wasn't my fault. During that conversation we were having in the last segment about the uh, whether or not it's realistic to expect Summerfest to go on, even in a modified fashion in September, one of our listeners had sent a text saying, well, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but at least as of now, the Milwaukee Air and Water Show is scheduled to, to go on. 
Well, uh, just a couple minutes ago, the organizers announced, no, they're they're canceling the air and water show as well. And again, you know, if, if there was anything that you would think that they'd be able to do in the summer of 2020, the, the air and water show, which is spread out over a, a large area of ground, that might be something you could at least do social distancing all on. But I, I understand there is just so much uncertainty and. For everybody out there, every person out there that says enough is enough, I'm ready, I feel comfortable getting back into large groups, there, there's somebody who says I'm not going out again until they have a vaccine, and then there's a lot of people in the middle, and, and I confess, I'm one of those people in, in the middle, I'm, I'm not a hermit, I have no issues, you know, going out, I've been interacting with people, but at the same time, I'm not in a hurry to rush to, you know, a, a stadium where there's going to be 40,000 people. I mean, it's it's one thing in sort of limited groups, and, and maybe that doesn't make any difference, because I, I understand that if you're going to come into contact with somebody who, who's sick, it doesn't matter whether you do it in, in a small setting where there's five people or whether there's a setting where there's 40,000. I guess I, I just figure that the odds of me having that exposure are so much greater if you're in a, a group with 40,000 people than they are if you're in a group with 10. Anyways, that's how I am. I'm kind of in the middle on this, and I understand, like I say, there's people on, on both extremes, and I don't use that in a bad word. People have to decide what their comfort level is, but the reality is that that's not going to change for a while, so I certainly understand why the organizers of these various events are sitting there and they're saying, hey, we want to do this, but there's just too much uncertainty, which brings me to what I want to discuss with you next. Speaking of uncertainty, the other day I was talking to someone who has a second home in Door County. And and typically what they do is, you know, during during the summer, they will I don't know if it's every weekend, but but that's that's kind of the thing. They're, they they generally spend a couple weeks up there for sure. And then lots of weekends, it'll be, all right, you know, we're, we're going to pack up on, on Friday. You know, we're, we're going to drive up and we're going to go up to Door County and then we're going to come back, you know, late, late Sunday night. Sometimes we, you know, stay over to Monday, et cetera. So there's a lot of going back and forth. And I, I was asking him, I said, well, what's given the fact that the Door County depends so heavily on, on tourism? particularly tourism from from Illinois or, you know, from other areas as well, Wisconsin, but also from Illinois. Um, and given the fact that you have this degree of uncertainty, now that things are starting to open up, what what is what is the sentiment of people that are there year-round, the, the merchants who... Yeah, maybe even if who, who probably are only maybe they're only open four or five months, or even if they're open year-round, they, they they make their money on the things that they do in the summer, and that's, you know, so they make their money there, and then that kind of, you know, tides them over the winter. I said, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about, you know, what is the, the attitude about people coming in, the tourists coming in? Normally, you know, I, I understand in, in areas that depend heavily on tourism, you, you can't wait for the tourism season to start. Boom, come on here, spend your money, you know, that, that we need that. And I said, I'm just curious, what's it like this year? And my friend was telling me, said, well, it's kind of all over the map. Um, there are, there's a sentiment of people, group of people who are out there saying, 
we don't want any of the outsiders in. We understand we depend on tourism, but but we don't want that. We don't want somebody coming up from Milwaukee, where you've had the greatest outbreak of coronavirus. We don't want somebody coming up from Chicago. And they said, you, you get that attitude. But then there's a lot of people up there who say, well, you know, we're willing to take this risk because if we don't have the tourism, we're just financially crushed. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will you be traveling inside the state this summer? If you typically take one of those vacations to Door County or maybe the Wisconsin Dells or, or wherever, will you still be going? And do you think that you will be welcomed? And conversely, if you're listening to me and you're one of those people that, that, you know, has the seasonal businesses and you're out in Wisconsin Dells, you're in Door County or whatever, some of the tourist, the more touristy areas, Lake Geneva being another one, are, are you worried that people are going to be coming in? Do you want to see people coming in or do you wish you could just kind of draw, a, pull down a curtain and lock the door and not allow folks to come in? What is this summer going to look like when it comes to tourism? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will you stay? Will you go? We discuss in just a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back to discuss. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's really a two-pronged discussion. If, if you're used to traveling in-state to some of the big vacation areas, are you comfortable going? And if you're one of those people who lives or works in Door County or the Dells or, or the other place, Lake Geneva, places that depend on tourism, do you this summer, do you want people to come? Let's start with Kim, who's calling us from the Wisconsin Dells. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jeff. I guess my only comment is, as me as an employee of a resort, it's my responsibility to make sure that I wash my hands, wear my mask, and take care of myself. Um, if I don't have visitors coming to see me, I can't support my family. It's easy for someone to sit in their office at home and say, don't travel, you're going to get everybody sick. It's everybody's responsibility. You know, I understand the virus is out there. I'm not afraid of it. If I catch it, mm-hmm. it's my own fault because I wasn't keeping clean. Do you think that's the way, and again, it's, I know you're speaking for yourself, do you think that's the way the majority of the people in the Dells, for example, feel, a community that's very dependent on tourism and very dependent on summer tourism? Do you think that's the way most people feel? I believe that's the way majority of people feel, um, from people in schools to my doctor that I visit, that it's everybody's responsibility to keep themselves safe and if you feel that uh, you're at risk, you should stay home. We all have the ability think, to have things delivered to us. What do you think the summer is going to look like? Let, let's fast forward to uh, a month from now, to around the 4th of July and stuff. Do you think, um, do you think we're going to see attendance in the Dells, for example, anything like it's been in previous years? Do you think it's going to be down? Uh Currently, it's like it's the dead of winter around here. You know, all the assumptions yeah. that people are rushing to bars and restaurants, that's not happening. Yeah. Um, when I drive to work in the wintertime, it takes me a half hour to get there. In the summertime, it can take me an hour and a half because I have to travel through town. It's sure. a ghost town. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy to say that, you know, people are getting unemployment and extra money. That's not going to last forever. Well, and no. And it's it... going to want to lose my health insurance, my 401k, and everything else that goes with it. And I think that uh, the scare tactic 
needs to stop. People need to take personal responsibility for themselves and know that this is going to be with us. So your message is come on out to the Dells this summer, have some fun. Absolutely. Good. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Kim. Yeah, and that's and see that that is the that's the flip side of this, and it's it's what I talk about a lot. And I understand that I irritate some people who are the the, the real safety conscious people. You know, the we have to balance risk, and it's it's not taking unreasonable risks, but at the same time, I I don't know, I don't know about you, but I just I, I don't want to be a hermit, and and then there are the effects, and I appreciate Kim's call, and I appreciate her perspective because you know, her livelihood is working in a in the tourism, the hospitality industry in a tourist location, and if people if it really is a ghost town and people aren't going to come, the bottom line is that there's going to be lots of businesses that aren't going to be around a year from now because they're not going to be able to survive. You're seeing that locally. It seems like every time you turn on the radio or turn on the television or look at the newspaper, you, you got a report of another place that's closing because just economically it doesn't make any sense anymore. 855-616-1620. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? You going to be traveling this summer? Oh, oh yeah. I'll be going in two weeks from tomorrow. I'll be headed up to Springstead, Wisconsin. It's called the, the Birches Resort, and they're open for business, so I'll be up there for one week. Okay. You have any hesitations, any concerns about that at all? You worried you're likely to get sick? No, not worried at all. If it happens, it happens, you know? Oh. Well, that's yeah. No, thanks for calling. No, that that that's true. I mean, I think that's you know, it, it can happen anywhere. Now, you don't want to take unreasonable sort of risks. It, it it's interesting because, like I say, when I was having a conversation with my friend, they they were talking about some of their neighbors up in in where, where they live in Door County, and, and they were talking about their reaction. With some neighbors were like, "Well, we we don't you know we we don't want people from you know Milwaukee County where there's been a greater spread. We don't pe- want people from Milwaukee coming up here, and we certainly don't want people from Chicago coming up there." But, again, the flip side is if there aren't people like, like Joe that are willing to, to travel and to spend that money, those businesses, especially the businesses that depend on, on the tourism, they're not going to be around. Dave in Fond du Lac. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I'm middle of the road just like you. Uh, I'm not looking to get sick, but I've also got to live my life where – Right. I enjoy it to an extent without being foolish. Um, right. I have a place up. I'm, I live down in Oak Creek. I have a place up in Tomahawk, you know, a large parcel of land that I like spending time working on. I, I try to be responsible in that respect. But last weekend, over Memorial Day weekend, it was full game on up in Tomahawk. There were people really? dragging boats everywhere, ATVs, bars were full. It was, no, uh, it was, you, you, had you not known there was a virus, you would have not known that there was a virus. Huh. So people were pouring into Tomahawk, huh? The Tomahawk area, yeah. But there, you know, you're on a boat. You can kind of be socially distant on a boat. Right. ATVing, that's also an aspect. As far as going to a water park or a crowded venue, yeah, that to me... I would not risk me personally, my health. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's going to. Uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And I think it's it's going to depend on on those different types of things. I mean, it's it's one thing if 
gee, I'm going to go to uh, Lake Geneva and I'm going to go a- antiquing and walking down the main street. It- it's it's another thing, again, if you're talking about the water parks. Now, I understand there were some water parks that opened up. I- I'm trying to... I, I try to imagine how you, you do that, given the fact that there's a huge expense in opening up the water parks, and so you need a certain volume of people. And, and, and let's, let's face it, in a water park, it's, going to be, it's almost impossible to do social distancing, which is one of the reasons why so many of the area pools around here have closed. They, they just, you, you can't, you know, you, people are in pools. They're not going to be wearing masks that are in pools. They're going to be, you know, you're, they're coming into contact with each other. You're running up and everybody's going down the slides and you're running around the side of the pool. And it's not so much that the virus is transmitted in the water. I mean, you get chlorine and all that stuff. But it's that, that critical mass of people that you need to be there to make it make sense. Here's a text. Jeff, we have a place in Egg Harbor. We were there this past weekend for five days. Things aren't normal as normal last summer, but we saw more masks than expected lots of social distancing we cannot wait to go up again in a couple weeks um let's see uh jeff i i i live in illinois only 100 yards from the wisconsin border nowhere near chicago i've been fishing in wisconsin for over 50 years promised my grandkids i take them fishing uh in wisconsin this year i've heard so much negative talk towards illinois residents um that i don't want to deal with it i'm headed to rand lake in southern illinois instead which is actually farther away oh come on back Come on back. We want your money. Jeff, my wife and I have decided to take a mini vacation to the Dells this summer in July. Are we going to do everything that maybe we would have? Probably not, but we can sure at least be safe in what we decide to do there. Yeah, that's. I think that's the attitude to have. And I guess, see, from my perspective, it's more... It's less do I do I feel that I am at risk. Again, I'm not ready to go into the 40,000 seat venues. That's just me. But I, I don't have a problem, you know, going out. And do I have a problem going to Door County? No. I guess my big question is going to be, is enough stuff going to be open? Are the things that I want to do on, on the vacation? And when you go to Door County, we, we have things that we like to do. Are the places going to be open? Am I going to be able to have a, at least a, a semi-close-to-normal experience? And I, I think that's... That's what still is, is a little bit undecided. We're not going to know for a while. But if, you know, like places like Door County or the Dells or whatever, as long as there's stuff to do and as long as I'm not too restricted and not too limited, well, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly open to, to going, much more likely maybe than traveling overseas this summer, which I'm not going to do, or you know, even traveling halfway around the country. Just saying. That's me. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Thank you so very much for spending your Friday afternoon with me. Pop Culture Corner coming up in just a minute. Kind of a sea change that maybe you hadn't noticed. Or you, and, but again, it's one of these interesting sort of inside baseball business stories. Uh, if, if you look at various modern inventions, I mean, certainly the, the telephones, um, obviously, you know, computers and things like that. But you go back about 140 years, and one of the big things was the development of, of the light bulb. Uh, because, you know, but before that, you know, people had, they'd have candles, or you'd have the, 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 the gas lamps and things like that. Well, uh, Thomas Edison developed a light bulb about 140 years ago and was one of the founders of the company General Electric. Now, over the years, General Electric has made lots and lots of stuff. I mean, it's one of the classic American companies. But one of the cornerstones of General Electric from the beginning has been light bulbs. Up until 
just the last couple weeks, General Electric announcing that they had now completely gotten out of the light bulb business. They, they've sold the light bulb division to another sort of company, um, another company. They're, they're going to continue to you know market under the GE brand. But 140 years after Thomas Alva Edison discovers the light bulb, helps found General Electric, General Electric now no longer is responsible for manufacturing light bulbs. Hmm. The times, they are a-changing.